This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode number nine. I am Joe Darnell, and with me is Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing, sir? Good evening. Doing pretty well this evening. Thank you. Let's see. We have a good track record. We've made eight consecutive weeks of the podcast. This one, we have something very special in store. I think it was about two months ago I contacted our guest, and I've wanted to have him on the show for forever. And I don't know about you, Joshua, you're relatively new to the podcast's culture, right? Did you hear about this guest before we approached him? Well, I, I have been listening to podcasts on and off, but yeah, when you contacted me about two or three, maybe four months ago about getting this started, uh, you gave me homework and uh, Mac Power Users was on the list of homework. Yes. And, and I so told I, you to I, read <laughs> all of the field guides. <laughs> I started where, where where I was, started their episodes. And uh, I, I don't know if I've ever been impacted so much as far as just the sponsor level. Like they have a bunch of sponsors, of course, because they're great. And I'm like, hey, that sounds really cool. And so I've <laughs> actually either bought or, you know, signed up for various services through got some pretty pretty cool stuff they they've got going on over there so that's right the mac power users are around to impact our geek lives and wallets everywhere (laughs) so we have david sparks with us tonight how are you doing david i'm doing great guys and i had to laugh when you're telling that story because uh, i used to speak at macworld every year and now there's no macworld but uh you know it was a great conference for mac users and there was you know thousands and thousands of people there and it was the one week a year i got to be a rock star and (laughs) and inevitably uh someone uh, many times a day in fact someone would come up to me and say oh i love your show and i love uh all the great stuff you do and i bought so much of the stuff you talked about and then there'd always be a spouse or a significant other standing next to that person (laughs) with his or her arms crossed, just looking at me. (laughs) Can we go now? (laughs) And I I was always afraid that one of them was going to like knock me on the side of the head or something because uh, a lot of our listeners do buy stuff. (laughs) But uh, you know, what can I say? My, my, my listeners did get me to buy a Sonos system, which was not insignificant. So they got even payback. Now have Sonos actually sponsored your show. They ought to. No, they haven't. But the uh, we we talked about on the show. You know, it's funny on our show we have some. Once all, we'll get a thread started that will run for you know three or four shows and the feedback. And we somehow we got on the subject of Sonos, and I I I said I don't have them. I've never had a very fancy set of speakers. And then the Mac Power users, you know, universe started hammering away at me at email and sending me links and everything. So eventually, I did go go all in. And mm. now my wife looks at me with her arms crossed when she looks at her speakers. <laughs> You got them in the bedroom playing your music, whether or not she's interested in hearing it. Yeah. How do you control which rooms the music is going to? Can you turn off certain rooms if you want to on the fly? Yeah, it, Sonos is great. It's a um, it's a very um, it's like an Apple experience. Everything just kind of works. It's also like an Apple experience. Everything is kind of closed. It's their system, so they they've got an app, and the app works with a lot of the streaming services and like the library on your phone and you've got a ton of control over what you do and where it plays and how loud it is. Like when my wife and kids are gone, cause I do have several speakers sprinkled throughout the house. I, I just rock the house, you know, but when I'm home with the family, it's a, it's a little less aggressive. It sounds like the kind of product you would expect to become a part of HomeKit If Apple wanted to do something to make speakers throughout the house, just work off of HomeKit and use the music app on your iPhones or off of the Mac, I could see that being a part of the future with whatever kind of accessories and integrations you have in the home. I sure hope so. I'll tell you that. I know that's not on our subject today, but HomeKit, it's been, it's been a year since they announced it. And 
it feels to me like it's always ready to just drop, but I don't know which direction I'm supposed to go through with home automation. I'm definitely invested with these Apple devices. So I'd, I'd like to kind of follow the, the lead of Apple, but they haven't really given a lot of direction yet. So hopefully soon. Well, that's what WWDC 2015 is all about until it happens. And then we will forget that they overlooked HomeKit again and uh, be excited <laughs> about whatever new thing they had to tell us about. I'm sure there's going to be an update to OS 10, and I don't know if I'm more excited about OS 10 or 9, iOS 9, I mean, but I think it's about equals now. I, I know they're not going to release them that day, but I expect them to talk about the future for this year. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm really excited about that. Well, I think last year was such an aggressive year. In order to make, like, there was a lot of intercommunication between phones and Macs last year, and in order to make that happen, they had to to really get under the hood and do a lot of changes. And, and there was blowback for that because some things weren't working as well. Right. I really suspect this year they're going to be like, okay, we're dialing things in now. We're not going to be turning the world upside down. We did that last year. And uh, so it'll be like snow. It'll be called snow Yosemite. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yosemite in winter. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that never happens though. <laughs> or actually they do get some snow up on the mountaintops yeah. or, or do they? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. I haven't been to that part of California. Oh, it's gorgeous. If you ever get there, <laughs> the best time to go is in early spring because uh, all the waterfalls in, are in full you know, mm. swing. It's it's just gorgeous in spring. Well, that sounds like my time of year. Yeah, I can yeah. go up there for my birthday. I'll tell my wife, you got to do this. This is just a, an experience of a lifetime. You're going to take me there for my birthday. You can't say no. Yeah. Tell so you heard about it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll show her some pretty pictures in my photos library. I'll find somebody else's and I'll put them in. Oh, I like how you did that. Yeah. Well, anyway, David, I wanted to talk about a little bit of your professional background. You've been doing 250 plus podcast episodes of Max Power Users now. Yeah. yeah and crazy. that's not even the professional work. Yeah, I know. It's and, nuts. It, it, we started in 2009 and we do five a month now. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think, Katie Floyd. Yeah, I think I started listening around episode 40 or 45. Wow. You've been with us a long time. Yeah. I'm one of your si many silent listeners digests <laughs> a whole lot. And now admittedly, most episodes I'm listening to at about one and a quarter speed Yeah, just to get through it. But I, I never really have skipped any of them. And that's saying a lot because these days I have up to about 30 podcasts I'm subscribed to from week to week. Yeah. it's It's been really good raw material, but well-organized. And one of the reasons... I was, well, actually one of the inspirations for our show was the cohesiveness of the Mac power users. Yeah. I know that perhaps y'all don't get to study the things as much as you would like. And maybe there are some other fields of interest concerning Apple computers and technology today and software. You don't really get a chance to dabble with that. You would like to explore further because you're spending so much time addressing the many great topics you've already established. So over the years, I thought about things like, um, uh, I guess like the, the arts and design. One of the things I, I felt like would be great was if someday you had a, uh, an episode with a guest that is an expert in things about Final Cut Pro. I think y'all talked about Aperture a few times, and that was pretty good. Both of us have agreed that's something we want to do with the show. So we've got a whole series of guests coming up for the rest of the year towards the end of uh, May. We're going to have a whole episode on user interface design with Krista Mergen. She's an artist. We're actually trying to expand some of that stuff. So hopefully you'll get something cool out of that. Well, very good. Yeah. Nice. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. And maybe Merlin Mann could connect you with some of the Mac Break Weekly guys because they have experience in the Final Cut Pro department. And I don't know if those guys would be interested in a guest appearance on a podcast, sure. but I'm sure, sure it's up their alley. 
Alex Lindsay's been on at least once, possibly twice. I've, I've lost track. And mm. that was a good show. Yeah. So we, we've got interesting things come up. We've also got some uh, Hollywood folks coming in to talk about video production. That'll be fun too. Next couple months. Yeah. Any Star Wars related material? I wish. Well, Alex <laughs> Lindsay's the closest we got. We had him on the show and he talked about because he designed Queen Amidala's ship, you know, the, okay. the model. And uh, he talked about that. But um, the uh, we don't have a whole lot of the people we have coming in are not Star Wars related, but mm -hmm. you never know. You it's going to get there. Know. It's going to yeah. arrive. Exactly. Well, now you also you're going to be publicly speaking at a, a couple events coming up here this summer pretty soon, actually, right? The next big one for me is AltConf. It's at WWDC, the Worldwide Development Conference in San Francisco. Um, it's in such demand that there's a lot of people who show up that don't get tickets and they have a separate conference called AltConf. And that's not by Apple. It's privately run. And I'm going to be just doing a small speaking bit there on actually of all things, legal issues for developers. Cause I'm in addition to this stuff, I'm a lawyer. So exactly. I'm talking about going into business with my wife and a few others for a few things here and there on the side. And I'm like, you know, one of these days I'm going to be one of Mr. Sparks clients. I can just see it happen. It's funny. I have a lot of clients from the geek world. I represent a lot of developers and you know, it's, it's funny, but I actually, those are my favorite clients because they're, they're very practical. And <laughs> uh, you know, I try to keep my clients out of spending a lot of money and those are people who are interested in that. So it works good. And so besides your great podcast and your appearances here and there and your great lawyering practice, I don't know it to the, to the fullest extent. I'm going to trust that you're a good lawyer. I have no reason to believe you're not. You also have a great series of books. You've been writing about paperlessness and you've produced pod, uh, well, not podcasts. I want to call them podcasts, but I like to be a little bit clearer with my terms. I like yeah. what you call them. You call them screencasts. Yeah. And that's not yeah. altogether clear for a lot of tech users, but I think our audience for the most part should know what a screencast means. And it's usually just capturing video recording of the uh, computer interface or, you know, the, the smartphone interface, giving some how to's and direction as to how to make the best use of all of the programs. What you've cleverly done is you've turned some of these into iBooks and then others, you, I guess, like in, your, in the case of the most recent example with the photos book, it's not a iBook, it's a video guide that you would get downloaded to the desktop. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the brand is called Max Sparky Field Guides and there's kind of two different kinds of them. The first kind is a um, is a is a true book. I actually wrote two books for a big publisher before I started doing it on my own, and and those really are books. I write them as books, but then rather than just putting screenshots in them, I make video tutorials for everything I want to show. And it's just so much easier when you're learning about technology because if you look at a screenshot, you have no idea how the person got there or where they're going with it. Whereas if you can watch the person for two minutes do something you don't know how to do and you can stop and rewind and do all those great things. It's just a much better learning mechanism. And Apple has this great iBooks author platform that allows me to create these. So you can read my words and then you can click on the button and watch the video and then you're going to be all set. And uh, each one of those books has about an hour and a half of video in them. And then occasionally I do things on like one program. Like I did one on OmniFocus and I just did one on the photos application from Apple and because it's just one application, I don't think people really want to read a bunch of words about it so much as they just want to learn how to run that application. So for those, I make a, a screencast video guide or a field guide. I call it a video field guide. And you're just basically watching like my photos one is two and a half hours, which is kind of nuts because it's so long. But 
by the time you get to the end, you it's like having a master class in how to run photos, and then you're really good at it. So that's that's my uh, that's my thing. I really love it. So there, so there really is two and a half hours worth of material for f- running photos, yeah, know, which, you know? which is famous for taking all of basically the, the user uh, controls away and uh, leaving us with not much of anything to work with. You know, it's funny. I, I don't have a set length of these. I did one on an app called Workflow that turned out just to be an hour because after an hour, I felt like I'd covered it sufficiently. But photos is such a big deal. You know, your pictures are probably the most important bit of data on your computer and you can't lose them. So I wanted to teach you, well, how do you back it up and how do you set it up for the first time? And, you know, all the things that I just want to make sure whoever gets the field guide doesn't have any trouble. So I I took my time and went through the whole thing. And, and another thing about photos people don't realize is the, the editing features in there are actually pretty significant. I, I would say that they're better than iPhoto, not as good as aperture, but there's there's quite a bit of power under the hood there. So it ended up being two and a half hours. <laughs> but it's bookmarked, so you can jump around. Wow. You, know, you don't have to watch it all beginning to end. Well, I want to talk about the Photos book a little bit more in depth here in a minute. But while we're on the subject of the screencasts and the field guides, I was wondering, I have a background in graphic design, and a lot of my friends and peers online are web developers. And it seems these days that if you're going independent as an author, they recommend that you make a great big splash page, a website, you know, a very simple site to promote your written works. And, you know, uh, you just, you know, you know, blast people with marketing left and right. And you, you know, create some special offers and then you get an email list going. And the next thing you know, you, you know, you're on national television or something, I guess you get and wind up with a Ted talk. And I was wondering, your approach is more like a field guide approach, or it reminds me of the culture of someone who just takes notes, you know, off of the notebook in his back pocket. It's it's much more simple than that. You're keeping it very human and down to earth. Do you have an explanation for why you don't create a website for the field guides series or Maybe you are buying ads on Google. I don't know. Can you explain like why you haven't taken an interest in creating a field guides business and its own website? I'm just curious about your approach. Yeah, well, I, I feel like early when I got started in this, I felt like I, I just want to make stuff I'm proud of. I have a website, maxsparky.com, and that's where I, I write something there almost every day. And it's not like a, um, a fire hose website, but there's there's plenty of good content there and it's all for free. And I like giving that away. And that's kind of become my home on the internet. And as I, I built the field guides out, I actually own domains. I've thought about giving them their own website, but it seems to me like the appropriate place for those books is at the place that I give stuff away so people can enjoy both. They can buy stuff if they want. They can get stuff for free. And I do some marketing. I mean, like if you go to maxbarkycom slash field guides, you're going to see them all there. And I do marketing. I have a mailing list that people can sign up for. You know, I promote them through my friends on the internet and the podcasts. And, you know, I have various methods of promoting the books. It's not my full-time job. And like I price them at just $10 each. And I've taken flack from that from people saying, well, you should be charging more. But I I want the books to get out there and get a wide distribution. I don't know if I'm doing it right or wrong. You know, I'm not a fan of Facebook and the whole like way Facebook works. And so I haven't done a good job of marketing them through Facebook. And Well, I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a lot I could more I could do probably with them. But, you know, I'm, I'm a busy guy. I, what I'm trying to do is just make really great stuff. And then I make another really great thing. And, um, you know, I'm always moving on. I, I shipped the photos field guide and I'm already, you know, writing the next book. Next one will be a full on iBooks author book. 
it, to a certain extent, uh, you know, I, I haven't given it enough thought. So there was a guy in Australia who did a marketing podcast and someone, this was years ago, somebody sent a, sent a copy to me and they did a whole show on me about how brilliant I was with marketing <laughs> and, you know, and they had kind of like reverse engineered my online career and they had seen that, you know, first he wrote this blog and then I was a speaker at several conferences and then he wrote these books and then he did the podcast and then, you know, and they, they had showed how, you know, I systematically grew the brand, you know, as they say. Oh, sure. Sure. Just like all those articles out there that describe the marketing genius of Steve jobs and yeah. how they can uh, create the directors or the, the commentary track, the marketers commentary track for virtually any of his keynote talks. Yeah. And I, you know, the fact that I wrote the guy and said, look, you know, I wish that I was that organized, but I just keep doing things that sound fun to me and seem interesting and and i do get you know happy chemicals helping people and i get tons of great email and twitter comments from people who buy the stuff i make or even read the free stuff i give out and and it helps them out and that makes me feel good so that's how it happens i, I you know i haven't i haven't figured it out yet guys <laughs> i have a ways to go <laughs> but uh i'm, I'm still going to keep making good field guides as long as people want them I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. I know that to some degree, your material is not altogether timeless, but it has a good long shelf life. So you did a video series on text expander. I don't think you turned that into a field guide though. Did you? No, I, in fact, I, in fact, just today they released nine new videos that I made for them uh, because they just came out the new version. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But. Yes. I, I saw the link there at Max Barkey. Yeah. This is uh, this podcast goes out Friday, but uh, yet today is Wednesday. And yeah, it's brand new and I already checked it out. I'm very excited about these updates. I've been using text expander religiously. Thanks to people like you and Katie Floyd. Ow. I can't imagine where I'd go back, you know, to writing in by word or anywhere on the internet without something like text expander. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I think that that a great example of your kind of work is how you can keep it updated too, with even the iBooks format. That's something that's very powerful that I don't think many of the authors have taken full advantage of yet. You get a lot more bang for your buck as one of the readers. The purpose of the the books, or if you want to call them that, is better served because they have such a good life and the author can expand on his original vision. This parallels what you already do with the Mac Power users. You don't talk about something once and then leave it behind Assuming, well, you know, I've already talked about that. I guess we got to move on to something else new and original. And I, I get that from a lot of the other podcasters. They don't want to talk about things twice. But I think that things are always changing in technology. This is one of the themes of our series, how there are always shifts taking place in technology. There's always something new to address. And I'm sure even with WWDC, there's going to be new things to talk about concerning things like the Apple Watch. It seems like we've already said everything there is to say about the Apple Watch in the last few months. It's all you hear about on Twitter. It just is, it's booming. What we really need to recognize is that we're still creating. We are creators and we're using all of the tools at our disposal in brand new ways and just very exciting ways from day to day. And that is really at the heart of your great field guides is that you're not just, you're not just, you know, depicting the app in sort of a, a manual guide, you know, like if I get the photos guide, it doesn't feel like it reads or presents itself like an infomercial, like the typical one that seems dry, chalky, overly corporate and commercial, like you might find from a, a business that lacks personality. 
you make it very down to earth by actually demonstrating application. You demonstrate some methodology. You bring it down to everyday families' practices. So in the case of the Photos app, you're consciously aware that this was made for humans. It wasn't a product meant to just look really good on the dock bar of a Mac, you know, and just sit there. Several times we can we can sort of perceive that the Apple wears are not really worth all that much or not very powerful because these days they come free with a Mac or they come free with an update with you know OS 10 Yosemite. It's a little bit of an oxymoron. Photos app is free once Apple was happy with it. And it's not technically free because nothing is really free. You know, Apple is making their money somewhere and we know where it is. But it's still interesting that when it's all said and done, you get the product for free but you don't necessarily know how to make a good use of it. And it takes a lot of elbow grease to get in there, solve these problems, and come away with a great solution on how to use the Photos app. So your written work and the video guides are really something very special because it may take two and a half hours for us to watch your field guide, but really you're saving us on, I don't know, tens of hours (laughs) at least, if not a week's worth of time going through the process of moving from iPhoto to the Photos app. And what David mentioned earlier too, uh, and I mentioned uh, in a previous episode, is that you know the f- photos are really the most valuable thing we own. Like everything else is insured. You know, you can replace your car, you can replace your home. As far as our, our, our tangible assets, they, I mean, they're irreplaceable. So it's, it's just such an important subject to get right and to have backed up. And, and I, I went, uh, overboard and preparation from the from the switch from uh, iPhoto to photos have just multiple backups in multiple places and I know David's talked about this a lot in his show but I I, mean, I I personally went overboard and I was I was kind of I guess disconcerted by by the lack of information that Apple provided in that transition for, for example in particular we, we all know how iPhotos uh, just lagged you know we had to create multiple libraries if we had lots of pictures they were not clear on how photos was going to handle multiple libraries other than you know you could basically use one library well okay that's great but what happens to those of us have been <laughs> that have been using iPhoto for years and have 10 different libraries so that was a huge issue for me that that uh, really wasn't resolved until photos came out. And it was a, a huge struggle, and I, and I put hours of work into merging the libraries into one. I'm not sure if it, it, you know if I needed to do that after the fact, but I was I was pretty disappointed that there wasn't a whole lot of good information from Apple for the nerds out there to to calm their fears in the trans, upcoming transition. But uh, you know, Photos is working pretty well. A little iffy on some of the the syncing issues I've seen so far with a couple of my devices, but overall, I think it's going pretty well. So David, what did photo management look like for you 10 years ago? Were you using digital SLRs at the time and making photo boxes and photo printed books? Yeah, well, by 10 years ago, I was on digital cameras, but but not long before that, I was on a film camera and a shoebox. I mean, and um, that's one of the things that I think is kind of, when I was making this video, I started thinking about it. It really was much easier managing photos before digital because we had we had a lot of limits, you know. You know, twenty four pictures per roll, just for starters. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things that were terrible about film cameras. I mean, you didn't know if the pictures were any good, you know, and there, there's a whole and it was expensive and all these things. But but one thing about it was you knew what you had, and and you could physically see it. Um, 
which for a lot of people is a much easier paradigm to understand. And then we got, you know, the iMac showed up and iPhoto. I'm not even sure it was iPhoto back 10 years ago, but you know, people were starting to get digital cameras and then the computer replaced the shoebox, which even then was not that difficult of a paradigm because you only took pictures with one thing. You took it with your digital camera and you only put them in one shoebox, which was your Mac or your PC or whatever computer you had at the time. So that wasn't that hard either. I think when things got really, I mean, went really foobar was when you all of a sudden had all these devices that can take pictures, you know, your phone, your iPad, who knows what else people are carrying around they can take pictures with. It was around the time that the iPad was made available that the iPhone was beginning to be taken seriously as a usable camera for the everyday pictures. So yeah, it was, they, they were coinciding. Some people were using the iPad because they preferred a larger device to take their pictures. And then the iPhone was just getting to the point that the quality of pictures was good enough that people wanted to use that instead of their, their other digital camera device. Yeah. And, and so for a lot of people, they're walking around and today are walking around with a external point and shoot camera and it's got a memory stick in it. That's got a thousand pictures on it that they haven't saved anywhere. And then they've got a phone with a bunch of pictures on it that they also probably haven't saved anywhere. And then their phone gets stolen or broken and they lose a bunch of pictures. And the reason that they haven't backed them up is they probably, number one, don't fully appreciate how vulnerable they are. And number two, they have no idea how to fix that, you know? And, and I think in Apple's, you know, defense, the one thing they've really tried to do with photos is, is take that out of the equation. So people, if you just have everything set up, it just happens. So they, and I think they've largely succeeded. I mean, I, I didn't expect it to be as good as it is, to tell you the truth, photos. I completely agree. And it's been taking me by surprise. I keep expecting for something to break in my experience. Now, Joshua, you had an unfortunate experience with the new Photos app. Was that on your phone or cross-platform that you found that bug? Uh, it was uh, pictures I took with my iPhone. I had a, uh, I guess a my wife's 30th birthday, we went out and had a special evening, and luckily I got a bunch of pictures, but there was just a chunk of them that just came back as just completely black. Like, I'm not talking like bad lighting, I'm just talking like this black square, and I've not actually Googled it to see if it was a, something that is normal or that is happening, but yeah, it was this weird chunk of photos that disappeared. Thankfully, I don't remember what they were, but uh, yeah, it was a weird, uh, weird event. And the good thing is, is that your case is the first one that I've heard of such an issue happening over iCloud photos. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's good. I know I have had issues. I mean, I'm, I don't know if I've lost any pictures other than that, that one chunk, but I have had some very odd issues with, with syncing. Uh, now it could be that I've got a couple old iOS devices. My wife still is on a, a 4S and I'm on a 5. And a couple of those devices are running out of memory. So I don't know exactly if that's kind of causing some issues, but but you'd think it did at least keep that thumbnail library kind of, yeah, I'm a little bit, st still a little bit skeptical, but my future is, is there. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Well, and all of our futures hang in the balance. And that's why the storage and in particular, the backup issue is such an important one that David, you addressed in your field guide for the Photos app. And wouldn't you do, a, if you don't mind describing your backup solution? If, not, not at all. I also wanted to point out here that something that I, I think a lot of people don't really understand, they don't really compute, is that if they have a solution where their photos wind up on their Mac, the Mac itself, its copy and all the locally stored photos on that Mac should not be considered as the backup. 
And this, this unfortunate incident happened to a friend of mine about three, no, I guess it was five years ago before we had to worry or be thinking about cloud storage yet. He was still taking all of his digital photos and then he was tethering to his Mac and he was running all the photos over to his MacBook. And without really thinking about it, he just thought of the Mac as his his master copy of all the these photos so that he could have a more space on his iPhone. He'd clear out all the space on his iPhone for future pictures. And then he one day was in a restaurant and his MacBook was stolen. It devastated him because he realized that he lost about, I think it was five plus years of family photos. And he was a real family man. And I know that it just, you know, impacted him directly in not just his family, but also he had a lot of pictures from special events as he ran conferences and he lost everything that he had taken all those years. Ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah, I mean, just just talk to anybody that works at an Apple store, and it's almost daily that this happens. You know, I, I was once in an Apple store getting one of my computers worked on, and uh, a woman walked in there who had all of her um, college sorority. You know, she had just graduated college, and the hard drive in her MacBook failed. And so she had like five years of pictures that were not backed up, and she was in tears and just, I mean... And there's just nothing you can do because, uh, well, I guess possibly there's things like drive savers. If you want to spend thousands of dollars to put it in a clean room and have them try and put it back together. But that's not even, that's not likely to work. And, uh, you know, in all likelihood, everything's just gone and you could get a backup drive. I mean, forget about cloud storage. You could go down to target and get a backup drive for like $30 right now. And is, are all your photos worth that? I guess is my question. If you're not backing them up and, and just, you know, a lot of it's just people don't realize it. So, so Apple, I'm sure, you know, their own employees see this daily. And I think, you know, one of their big goals with photos was not necessarily to make a prosumer grade photo, you know, illustration app, but in order to solve that problem for a lot of these people where their photos are backed up in the cloud. And I don't think that's the only place you would want them because I'm a nerd and you know, I'm, I'm more careful than that, but for a lot of people, that's all they're going to have, but that may be enough. Mm. So uh, it, it's okay. Uh, now to answer your question for my backup system, it's, it's nutty. <laughs> you know, I can't help myself. <laughs> the, the photos library is like the iPhoto library. It's a, it's essentially a folder. It's a package. It's got a bunch of stuff in there, including the, the image files. So you could always ex export them out, but I, I back up the entire package and I put it on a um, external Drobo drive attached to my Mac. So it's basically in, uh, on my Mac in an attached drive. All that stuff is backed up automatically because I have an online storage account. You know, Backblaze is one I use, but you know, whoever. And uh, so that, that stuff's all attached and it, it sends it. So that's up in their cloud. And I have a little task in OmniFocus once a month where I, I back that up onto another external hard drive. <laughs> and um, very quickly, David, I think you've spent all the pocket change of our listeners. Yeah, I know. But, you know, it's just, it's just because it's my pictures and I don't want to ever lose them. And to finish the circle, I also export the images because Photos has a nice export feature. So, you know, the, you don't have to be stuck with the Apple Photos library. You can just have folders where it puts them together by event. And um, I export them all into a folder, which I also back up. So I've got the images separate from the library as well. It really doesn't take that much time once you kind of automate some of the stuff. And I guess I could go on at length about that. If nothing else, just one extra 
external USB drive that you plug in once a month and just copy everything. One backup or, you know, five backups, whichever. Yeah. Well, because you have this great system, it, it begs the question, do you and your wife share photo libraries? No. And I noticed that about your intro video for the photos guide Yeah. that you described your photos library has about 26,000 photos and you didn't happen to mention videos at the time. Yeah. And then your wife's is around 36. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> yeah. She, she doesn't mess around. <laughs> My wife is really into crafting. So she goes to some of these um, conventions and crafting seminars and she'll take like 200 pictures of a piece of paper just because she wants to use it as a texture for something later. So, and I don't want all that stuff in my library. So, um, we, you know, we, uh, in the Sparks family, when my kids were younger, we had one family iMac that was the iPhoto library. And, uh, about the time we were talking about earlier where the phone kind of became its own thing and my kids were getting old enough that they were getting their own phones. We had the great splitting of our library where everybody kind of got the, the then current version of the library on their computer and did with it as they please. And I kept everything from before because I'm kind of like the master archivist here. Uh, but everybody else, you know, they start taking their own pictures. This is a controversial point about photos because it doesn't allow you to share libraries. So my wife's library, I can't see through photos. I'd have to go look on her computer if I want to look through her library. And uh, a lot of people are saying, well, we need to solve that problem too. I'm not entirely convinced we do. For, to me, the much bigger deal at this stage of the game was that we had reliable cloud backup and syncing, which is what we got. And I'm happy. I'd rather have that than add a feature that allows me to look at 36,000 pictures of paper on my wife's computer. <laughs> they do have a feature in photos, and this has been there for a while. It's like iCloud photo sharing, or I, I forget the exact uh, phraseology, as they say. But the um, there's a shared library function, and we do that all the time in our house, like when we have a family gathering in Easter or whatever, we'll say, you know, Easter 2015 and not only my immediate family, but my sisters and their, and my wife's family, we all join one library. And then any pictures that we like that we take that day, we all put in that shared library. So in essence, I get shared pictures, but it's a distilled version of shared pictures. It's just the ones that people want to share. I'm actually okay with that. When you go to a birthday party, it's okay to take 300 pictures, but there's no reason to keep 300. Right. right. So I don't want to see all the pictures everybody took on Easter. I just want to get the three or four that everybody thought were the best in their libraries. And then I'm good. I, I recently uh, just learned that through experience of actually going through physical pictures of my first birthday. And I'm thinking there are a million printed pictures of me eating cake. You know, I'm 34 years old now. I don't want to have this many pictures of me eating birthday cake at age one. So I thought, what are the chances my kids are going to want this many digital pictures uh, of them eating cake on their first birthday? So yeah, I think I scaled down from 28,000 to 20,000, some old uh, physical pictures of myself. It's kind of fun just going through old events and you, you'll look, you'll have three pictures of one person in the same pose. So just pick the best one. Right. Or Get rid of all three of them if it's not a good picture. And right. I mean, when I was a kid, we didn't have that much money. So I think we bought like four rolls of film a year. So, <laughs> you know, looking back at my childhood photos, there's not a lot, but there's enough. You know, with my kids, it could be completely insane because I've got, you know, massive amounts of storage. I've got a, you know, one of the tricks on the iPhone, a lot of people don't realize is if you've got a group of people, just hold down the button and it'll take like 30 pictures and pick the best one for you. And it does a pretty good job. Mm -hmm. But right. you've got 30 pictures on the phone, you know, <laughs> right? in about a second, you know? 
Related to these issues concerning how we share our photos and maintain the best ones, I noticed that a lot of people in this day and age with their phone, their phones being their primary computers and the their use of photos mainly being social ones that they want to show their friends and family what they have been up to on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think that people have lost sight of their their storage solutions, their archives. It's just exasperating the problem because they think of their best photos as the ones that are in albums up on Facebook or the ones they have shared on Instagram. And they actually think that those photos are going to stick around, that they're in a relatively good piece of quality for archival. And they really aren't. Yeah. Yeah. I had to explain this to some family members a few years ago and pointed out the day that, you know, Facebook changes a lot of things. What is going to happen to all your photos? Where do you think they're going to go? Do you see yourself using Facebook in 20 years? They went, oh, <laughs> we didn't think of that. Then they asked like, well, do you mean that my only copies I have of these pictures are the ones that are on Facebook? And I was like, well, I don't know. Where are the rest of your photos? And they're like, well, I had photos on my last iPhone and I don't know where those are now. And I was like, no, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is the problem. And, and that's the problem for the majority of the people. I mean, they're, they're, let's be honest. There's, you know, there's not that many people that are listening to Mac power users or tectonic. I mean, it, you were, you know, you're a nerd if you're listening, you know, God bless you. <laughs> God bless us all. But, the, um, <laughs> but you know, the, most people out there don't spend any time thinking about this. And that's, that's why I think, you know, the digs against photos, and the cloud storage system saying, well, hey, you know, this isn't as good as Aperture. I think they're completely missing the point. I mean, what Apple's aiming for here is that when you take a picture, and they largely delivered, when you take a picture on your phone, if you've got iCloud storage enabled, and granted, you're going to have to pay a monthly fee if you've got a lot of pictures, it's just taken care of. I mean, you take a picture with your phone um, at your wife's birthday, you're going to get home, it's already going to be on your computer. And if you go buy a new computer... And you plug it into iCloud and you you tick the right box, it's going to download 26,000 pictures onto your computer for you. And you don't have to think about it. That is something for the vast majority of people out there that they desperately need. And a lot of them don't even realize it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't work in an Apple store, but just talking with enough uh, folks in their you know 40s or 50s or maybe beyond, I mean, they're just completely oblivious, you know to backups and, and having that uh, taken care of. So yeah, Apple is, is smart in making it idiot proof. You know, they made, they made time machine a couple years back. They've been, I guess a solution, but it's not idiot proof because you have to plug it in. Yeah, but that's all you have to do. You just plug it in and then it says, you want to <laughs> back up and you click okay. And then you're backing up and correct. And, you know, and yeah. we, and we do that, but so many people don't as you, as you're saying. So I make that my fee. Whenever someone tells me they got a new Mac and they want to set up, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been under my whole life, but I've been on Apple so long that I'm, I'm, I'm no longer competent to set up a PC, which is kind of okay with me. Ditto. <laughs> you know, I've got a, I got a father-in-law, just, just one, I guess I might as well say it for some reason, anti-Apple. I, I got him to buy a Mac a couple long time ago, but he hasn't since he's just dead set against it. I think it's something to do about price. And I try to explain it to him, but what do you do when people come to you for advice? Like, should I get this Zune or this Android blah, blah, blah tablet? And I'm just like, I would not wish either of those things on a worst enemy. I'm not sure what to tell you. How do you handle those sorts of questions? I guess it depends on the person. If it's a stranger, I'd say, well, get whichever one satisfies your requirements for usability, price, and reliability. You know, you just have to go make your own, your big boy, your big girl, go make <laughs> your decision. But yeah. like, if it's family, I say, look, you can get whatever you want. 
But if you want my help, you're going to have to get an Apple product because I can't help you with the other stuff. I don't know how that stuff works. And, um, and frankly, I've been very happy with my Apple stuff, so I would recommend it. Um, but you know, it's your choice and you're, you know, you make your own decision. And, and in my family, largely that over the years that's happened. One of the reasons why the photo sharing works so great is because everybody in my wife's family and my family, we all have iPhones and I thingies, you know? So it's really easy for us to share stuff with each other. I remember the battle days where you'd, ha if you used a Mac, but you want to use a Palm pilot or whatever other thing you want to use, you know, whenever you have different things from different companies, it's never really that important to them to make sure they work together. Whereas when Apple sells something and then they sell something else, they're going to, it's going to be a priority for them that they, they work together. And, and that I think is saves me time and, and aggravation. But I was going to say earlier, it's my fee when I, if they do say, okay, I got a new Mac. I want you to come over and help me set it up. My fee is um, I will not come over there unless you have purchased a backup drive and, you know, we're going to set it up together because I'm not going to set it up for you just to have it crash or something. And they always <laughs> nice. laugh at me, but it's, I'm absolutely s serious, you know, <laughs> and it works, you know, they buy and then I show them, okay, now you're backed up. They're like, well, what else do I have to do? Well, just keep this thing turned on. That's right. You know, and that you're okay. It's not perfect. You know, I frankly would prefer an offsite too, but you know, for most people, if I get them that far, I feel like I, that's a victory. All <laughs> right. Well, last question for you then, David, and I'd like to get your opinion too on this, Joshua. I don't know. You don't have the Apple watch yet, but I'd like to know what you, your thoughts are on this too. Do you see yourself using the camera app on the Apple watch or the photos app on the Apple watch? I have a watch and I, ha I barely use either one. I've just looked at, looked at them to see, I mean, I have 47 year old eyes. It's hard to see pictures on that little screen. Not, they're not too forgiving on mine either. And I have relatively 2020 vision. <laughs> it's just a small display. I did have a lot of fun at a family event um, using, I set up my camera on a tripod and I was using my phone to trigger the picture, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, you could do it with a timer too, but it, there was just something kind of felt Buck Rogers about, you know, sitting there and saying, okay, everybody, we all set now. And that's right. Press a button on my watch and it takes a picture. It does feel like it's a part of the future. It's one of yeah. the Dick Tracy tools, not, not necessarily something he used, but it feels like something out of a comic book. In a good way. Yeah. But I, I've only used that a few times, but it's been useful. And, you know, and looking at pictures, you know, like the default setting is anything that you favorited comes onto your watch and that's great. But if I'm going to show you pictures, I'm going to pull my phone out of my pocket and let you look at them a little bigger. Completely agree. What do you say, Joshua? Uh, yeah, I don't have a watch yet, but I, I couldn't imagine doing more than maybe a few favorites. If then again, my phone's going to be in my pocket. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there. The reason I raise this question is because a lot of the little things that you do from day to day can be done so well off of the watch that I'm using the phone less and less. I realize I'm not going to get rid of my iPhone anytime soon. I don't intend to go completely with the watch, even if Apple made it possible to run all the functions and Wi-Fi capabilities and GPS over the watch by itself. I still would find good reason to use apps that have more features off of the phone. But then it also occurred to me that, you know, your phone is a camera. You're not going to be using the watch as a camera any day soon. I, I think that they're not competing for each other. And it's really smart of Apple to give the, the watch a feature like the camera remote so that at least it complements the, the phone as your camera. I'm very excited to see that Apple has consistently been paying attention to two things that they wouldn't have to, they don't have to, but they've taken a serious interest in. 
which is our um, music and photos. We're not always thrilled with their solutions. And when Tim Cook or Steve Jobs have been up at the, the events and they're talking about music, they talk about it incredibly fondly. And then they have a concert and then they, they talk about all these great features they're adding. And you can see they're giving it their best. And the same is true about photos. We're, we can't always say that the solutions are right for everyone, but at least they're trying really hard. And I respect where they are going with it. So David, I want you to conclude by telling people where they can find your field guide and the rest of the wonderful things you do. Yeah, just head over to maxsparky.com and that's my website. And there's buttons on the right sidebar for all the various field guides I've made. If you're interested in photos, I'm giving away a half hour of the uh, two and a half hour, you know, opus. So um, you can just watch the first half hour and see if it does it for you or not. But, you know, you can find the other books I do there as well. Some of them link to iBooks, you know, the iBooks platform. You can buy it for your iPad or Mac. To check out my podcast, go over to MacPowerUsers.com or go to Relay.fm slash MPU and you can find all of that stuff there. Like you were saying, we, we've got now over 250 episodes and we've got great ones coming out every week. We're just having a great time. So hopefully you enjoy that. Not to be a, a fanboy, but uh, really has impacted my life a whole lot, especially, uh, I guess, the last few weeks, you guys did an uh, interview with David Allen with really getting focused on GTD stuff. And it really came at the just the right time, really helped me a lot. So thank you. Well, thanks. I mean, it was great having him on the show. He's a really smart guy. <laughs> I like how he challenges you and and uh, in good ways. Yep, most definitely. And thank you, David, for joining us for this episode of Tectonic, episode number nine. Visit tectonic.fm slash nine for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter and send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I am underscore Joe Donnell, and my co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. And if you want to help us out, visit iTunes, give us your star rating and a quick review, and that'll help other people find our show. Spread the word so that more people can learn about the awesome work that our guests are working on and what we're doing over here on the show. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks for listening so much to the Tectonic Podcast. Podcast.